And your personal brand is the only thing you truly own yourself, your voice, your experience, your expertise. You know, I'm always impressed by 20-somethings who are out there in a very public way touting their expertise in anything because you're 20 years old. You haven't done anything yet. How can you have expertise? And the answer is they do have expertise in that which they have personally experienced. And the thing is, a good coach is not 50 miles ahead of you. They are 10 feet in front of you, and they are assisting you through everything that they've learned in that 10 feet in front of you. Martians landed, yes. wearing Prada suits, yes. drinking Henry seltzer, yes. chewing juicy fruit. Yes, and your branding here. Yes, brand. Your message here. Yes, and a verse about. Yes, your product here. Yes, I'm Hirsch Redman. Yes, and I'm a message therapist. Yes, and I have a podcast. Yes, brand. That's right. That's it. Yes, we'll help you fix the world. Yes, or your bottom line. All right. me today is D.P. Knuton, who is a writer, comic actor. He's the mind behind Collaborator Creative. He's a colleague, and his specialty is helping people who believe that they can't be branded. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to the show. We're going to talk about your brand and the brands of others. Welcome, D.P., to Yes Brand. Oh, thank you so much, Hirsch, for having me on. I mean, the name of your podcast alone made me understand that, oh, my God, we have a lot in common because it kind of combines my twin interests or even passions, if I dare use that word, in branding and yes, and which is one of the keystone philosophies of improvisational theater, which, you know, I know we could wax on for hours. We could. I think we'll spare them. We'll spare them all of the all the inside baseball, but we'll maybe let them in on some tricks of the trade that will help them in their in their journey to really differentiate themselves among their competition. I think that's a big thing that people face. How do they how do they break through? But tell me first, DP, you know, about your beginnings a little bit and how you gravitated toward comedy in particular and branding as well. You know, I've I've been around the the sun a whole bunch of years. <laughs> which is to say I was a latchkey kid, which meant I got home from school and I went to the babysitter of TV. Yeah. Turned on the babysitter and there was a show on called The Dick Van Dyke Show. Ooh. That's where I learned my okay. love of brunettes with Mary Tyler Moore, let me tell you. But I also learned that there was a job called comedy writing. And I saw Dick Van Dyke with Maury Amsterdam and Rosemarie creating these things, which I kind of just did. And I'm like, this is a job? You can do this? Well, a little bit later, I'm watching the next show that came on, which was Bewitched with Elizabeth Montgomery and a couple of different Darrens, if you remember. Darren yes. was replaced by different actors. Yeah. What job did Darren have? He mm -hmm. worked at an ad agency. Right. I was like, comedy, writing, advertising, they're kind of the same, making stuff up trying to get people to laugh or have some type of emotion, try to drive experience. And in my mind, I kind of united that concept of, huh, 
if I could have a job like Dick Van Dyke, comedy writing for the Alan Brady Show, and combine it with what Darren Stevens was doing working in an advertising agency, that'd be really cool. Right. Well, I took that and I filed it away, didn't think about it again ever until I uh, got out of high school. I obviously discovered my love of theater and performance. And then I went on to try to get a, a MFA in acting at the University of Southern California. But I got an instead of an MFA, I got a DNF, did not finish. And <laughs> I started casting about. One, I didn't want to live in L.A. Why? Because if you've lived in L.A. and you're from the Midwest like me, you either have a titanium ego or you go, this is not for me. Well, yeah. it was not for me. And I went back to spawn in Wisconsin. And um, I decided because I was basically qualified for nothing. I had a degree in theater. What's that get you? A job at a restaurant. Maybe you can bartend. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, what? My God, what, what can I possibly do? I started doing improv comedy. And in Chicago, you know, a hotbed of improvisation. Second city. Stuff like that. And... Yep, exactly. I did that for close to five years. And then after that, I'm like, after burning out on that, because, yes, you can burn out on doing that stuff. I l said, well, what am I qualified to do? Well, in Chicago, there is a alternative weekly newspaper called the Chicago Reader. And one week, there was an ad in it, the back page of this tabloid weekly from J. Walter Thompson, the advertising agency. And it had a headline that said, write if you won't work. It had a picture of an old Mac, the original Mac SE, you know, with the, the tiny screen. And around it, there was some body copy that said, there are a lot of creative people in uncreative jobs. Have you ever thought about becoming an advertising copywriter? I read that and all of a sudden went, oh, my God, Darren Stevens, Dick Van Dyke, all this stuff coming together, my background in improv. Wow, it caught my attention. And then it said, you might have the future or could possibly become an advertising copywriter. How? There are eight writing assignments in the ad. Write them up, send them to our creative review committee, and maybe we'll have a job for you. Took that, filed it away, and then promptly moved to Denver, Colorado. Because here in the United States, you can live wherever you want. I love to ski. I love to rock climb. I love to snowboard. Yeah, I'll go live in Colorado. I get out to Colorado. I need a job. I met a bunch of people in the Denver ag community, and nothing happened. And I yeah. was like, well, okay. That's, I, I took my shot. At least I took the shot. A year later... Almost to the day, I get a phone message from one of the agencies I met with and on a Friday. I had just gotten off that dead-end temp job. I got home to my apartment around 4 o'clock. There was a message on my machine. Hey, can you give us a call right away? I pick up the phone. They say, hey, we saw your stuff. We'd like to talk to you. I said, great. Want to set up a meeting for next week? They were say and they said, well, actually, we're still in the office. Can you come right now? And I went, okay. I hop in the car. I drive down there. I meet them. Turns out their writer had just left that Friday, was never coming back. They had nobody on Monday. They needed somebody now, and they offered me the job if I could start Monday. 
Well, wow. yeah. the answer was absolutely yes, I can start. And that was the beginning of my career in advertising. So DP, take us ahead to 2022, where so much has changed. People are trying to stand out. I'm fascinated by this notion of helping people who think they're unbrandable because it does resonate with me. I do hear from clients, you know, we sound like everybody else. Everything I put on my website sounds like the same old shit. And it's like, well, in large part, just like just like the way that we as as kids consumed advertising and still kind of analyzed it without even really in my case without even knowing it i would make up new taglines i would make up new stuff and just sketch it in my in my book but i was critiquing the language that they were using so i know when i read on somebody's website or the, whatever their copy is when it's kind of lame and doesn't really say anything but uh, how do you approach it when people come to you and, and say that they're unbrandable? What's, uh, where, where is that coming from? Well, first of all, I say I get it because, again, I'm a, a, a child of the Midwest where we're told, you know, you're not better than anybody else. Every, you put your pants on one leg at a time. You're not all that, mister. And it's kind of a hide your light under the bushel culture, you know, compared yeah. to texas where yeehaw my son got a d in calculus let's go tell the community you know it, it, or los angeles or new york where it's like i'm a personal brand no i'm a personal brand no i'm a personal brand here in the midwest people tend to go yeah our company has been around for 120 years and we are the we sell a lot of what we make but it's kind of boring to which I say, mm, yeah, you know, not really. Not to the people who need to buy it. Yeah. Because they, whatever you make, they need desperately. Otherwise, they wouldn't buy it. Keep that yeah. in mind. What you have and you sell and are selling successfully, there's someone on the other side of that equation who desperately needs what you're selling and desperately appreciates what you do. Now, in terms of the desperation factor, how do you feel about the... The idea that sometimes as the providers or, uh, you know, creative solutions, strategic solutions, we're told sometimes by coaches, by other people, you got to you got to point out how desperately they need it. If, if you don't hit their pain points, they're they're not going to hire you. Well, it, this all dovetails. And I realize that my background as an actor comes into play all the time. Because what you just described was a salesperson telling you your pain points right. as opposed to an actor telling a story that you relate to and then you realize those pain points that that story is telling are my pain points. Uh -huh. And as, a, as an actor, as especially as a comedic actor, the one thing you know is you cannot think yourself funny and be funny. Here's the reality of the people that you've described I, thinking themselves as unbrandable. They haven't done the work that people like you and I do, which is the most important thing in improv. I meet with my clients. I ask a probing question. I shut my mouth and I listen. And then I'll do some provocative questions trying to poke them a little bit to make them a little bit un uncomfortable to discover what I like to refer to as grains of gold. Yeah. If I find one of those 
grains of gold, I'll then follow that vein of gold to find the reality of what I like to describe is their nonfiction brand. Because here's the, you talked about selling the truth. Absolutely. That's the only thing you can sell. The truth. Yeah. The absolute, complete truth of who you are, what you do, and how you do it. We yeah. all are surrounded by people who are faking it till they make it. And let me point out someone I love to point out because a lot of people know who I'm talking about. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V. Yeah. The yeah. F-bomb thrower, New Jersey guy with a salty mouth and incredible global success. He is surrounded by typically young 20-year-old guys who want to do the same thing. I want to be the next Gary V. To which I say, no, Gary V is one of one. There is one Gary V, thankfully, and he is absolutely, completely aligned with who he is, what he does, and how he does it. The yeah. key thing for you, person who wants to be like Gary V, is to do the work to understand who you are, what you do, and how you do it in a way that is completely true, completely you. This is what mm -hmm. I call a nonfiction brand. And we can go into, well, is there such a thing as fictional branding? Yes, we're surrounded by it on a daily basis. Nonfiction yeah. brands, however, are rarer and way more successful. And especially when it comes to sustainability, because they are completely true to who they are. If you need an example of that. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at what's going on with a war between two mega brands going on right now. Elon Musk and Twitter. Twitter, mm. like it or love it, hate it, whatever, had, has a global brand. Elon Musk, like it, hate it, whatever, has a global brand. They are duking it out right now, and Elon Musk is absolutely crapping all over the, the brand he bought for, what, $44 billion? Yeah. And he's literally destroying the brand that he bought for $44 billion. Why? Because this is now Elon Musk's Twitter, which, what is, what is that actually going to be? That's what we have yet to find out. But yeah. put it this way, Elon's being completely true to who he is, but Twitter, the brand, is suffering because they of a total misalignment between those two mega brands. Yeah. It's complicated when you're dealing with, with brands, like with people brands. Twitter's brand is a higher calling, some might say, because it doesn't exist to serve one person's mind or ego or goals. It's, it's just simply not a person. It has other people that are invested in it, you know, journalists, the public, people like it has other stakeholders, you know, in that sense. So it's a battle to the death between these two brands. You're right. And then there's the fact that he is being true to himself. But at the same time, people who are who are fans or followers of, of Elon Musk get caught up in where their beliefs about him are very complex it's like you know and then we see this with a number of figures yeah it's it's the, the, they're the, complex the, but they're reptilian yeah. in nature meaning yes the prefrontal frontal cortex has all these competing emotions about it but the thing that makes them accept whoever that person is is all based in the you know the the rear of your brain back the reptilian part 
where it's like, yeah. ooh, he's a strong man. I'm well, in some cases, strong man. Yeah, in some cases, very, very far in the rear. Yeah, uh, you know, if you can, if you can uh, bend the head back so far that the head goes up the rear, that yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on. But that's again, I think, willing. You know, that's a this this is something we can talk about too. Audience, you know, when you're helping people kind of solidify their image or their brand, and I and I am interested in this the Midwestern sensibility and the Midwestern client because I think. You know, the willingness of the audience to suspend disbelief, basically, in their in their uh, support of a, of a brand. It could be a brand. It could be a personal brand. It could be a, per, a politician. It could be Elon Musk. But they're, it's not that they really, really believe that that person. It's that they're choosing to believe it, Right. They're choosing to believe it, even though they kind of know it isn't true. So they're doing that same thing that a comedian does. They're getting up and they're go and they're going. I'm going to live this for the first time. I'm going to live it like it's real. Yeah. How do you manage the expectations of an audience for the 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 brands, the people that you work with? Well, one of the big things, and I love the fact that you use the word audience as opposed to buyer or consumer or something right. like that, because an audience has to buy everything coming at them. If you're in the theater, we call it a willing suspension of disbelief. Right. I willingly disp you know, get rid of the idea that those actors on stage who are all three quarter facing me are talking to each other. Like they're in a conversation. I willingly say they aren't really in a, conversation. I know this is scripted. I know the sets yeah. aren't real, but I willingly suspend my disbelief so I can enjoy the story. Well, a lot of us have willing suspension of disbelief about the brands that we love. For example, I am an absolute huge Apple fan. Everything I own is Apple. Uh, I own Apple stock. I mean, everything is Apple, Apple, Apple. I willingly dis suspend some of my disbelief about working conditions in the factories in China that enable me to get phone that does everything except nuclear launch codes for an af a basically affordable price, even though it may be expensive. Are you kidding for what an iPhone does? If you had this in the year 1920, you would own the universe. That's how powerful it is. Because I love the brand Apple, I'm willing to overlook certain things. Let me give you another example. Political parties, Democrat, Republican. If you're a Democrat, you have to believe a certain core set of ideals. If you're a Republican, you have to believe a certain core set of ideals, ideals right? And But basically, for the longest time growing up, me as a USA citizen, I would look and say, boy, you guys agree on 80% of everything, maybe 90% of everything, but it's that last 10% you disagree on that's kind of annoying. But I will say, and I'm, you can guess what side of the spectrum I'm on when it comes to politics, I have a respect for the Republican Party because back in the old days, if you talked to anybody on the street and said, what do they stand for? They'd say, low taxes, strong military, and freedom whatever that means, freedom. The Democratic Party, you ask them what they stand for and you'd get a, lo a laundry list of 50 items. Well, any good brander knows you can't sell 50 items on the first date. But on the first date, if you say, you know what? I wanna make sure the money you make stays in your pocket. Guess what you get? 
you get a second date. And that second date, you can go into a little bit more detail. And then on the third date, you can go even further. And by the time you're married, you can then pull out all the stuff because they've already bought into the core truth that they recognize about your party. What's been interesting, the same way that Elon Musk and Twitter has, have been having this battle royale, so has the Republican Party with Donald Trump. There right. are, and let me tell you, even though I may be on the left side of the spectrum, I have plenty of friends, because I live in the Midwest, who happen to be on the right side of the spectrum. We agree on 90% of everything. We quibble about the final 10%. Big deal. I look at many of them and go, how can you support this narcissist, self-admitted or self-demonstrated narcissist, misogynist, crypto-racist individual? And I know you not to be any of those things. And a lot of them will say, strong military, freedom, low regulation, taxes, low taxes. And they'll, they'll give me the brand copy points right? and ignore or willfully suspend their disbelief about what they see in front of their very eyes. I mean, literally, they can see it. Grab them by the... Yeah. They see it. They hear it. And they go, yeah, that's locker room talk. Not in yeah. my locker room, not in my world. But they don't believe. But they don't believe that it was my was my point. I I feel the you know, and there's people all over the spectrum of of belief and suspending disbelief and so forth. But not to go too deep into the political aspect of it, but the party as it existed when you, when you and I were growing up. That softer, you know, first date gets you a second date, gets you a third date thing doesn't exist anymore. You know, the first date with the Republican Party, you know, they dragon, you know, stups your mother. And the second date, you realize that the, the dragon has syphilis. And the third date, it cuts off your head and tells you it's a Nazi. And all the all the all the way through it, it's like you're you're still like, are, are you still joking? You're still joking, right? Oh, yeah, I'm still joking. Of course I'm joking, you know. But it's like I think there's an overwhelm that happens. So from a branding point of view, I feel like everybody kind of knows what they want and they're getting it, you know. And it may be really unseemly and un unsavory and it may be hateful and it may be dark and it may be wrong, but that's what they want. Yeah. So in that sense, it's truth in advertising. It uses deceptive tools. Right. But, it's, well, but and the ultimate thing is you're, you're using deception so they can fool themselves into thinking that they're better than what they are, but that you're really giving them what they want. You're just yeah. giving them a, a costume to wear that maybe looks a little different. Yeah, and that's, that's what I mean about the, the fighting or the, the clash of giant brands, brands with, with yeah. Trump and the Republicans is – there are plenty of Republicans who know and see every single odious thing that I've described and we've all seen, right? They see it. They know it. But they just can't quit be their brand affiliation because it's part of their DNA. They, yeah. And we're not here to litigate politics and all that stuff. But let's just say for the longest time. I completely respected the brand diligence and a discipline of the Republican Party over that of my own party. Mm -hmm. I, there was once a story, Paul Begala, the, the famous Democratic strategist, 
was on, I don't know, CNN or something. And they were talking about how the Republicans, every single day, the Republican Party sends out talking points to every member of Congress, every Republican. They all get it. And then when they're on the show, they talk those talking points. And yeah. the host said to Paul Begala, why don't the, the Democrats have that? And, and he said, oh, we do. They send out talking points to every single Democratic senator and congressperson every single day. And none of them use it. And they ask, why don't Democrats do that? And he said, because we think for ourselves. Yeah. And that was a fundamental difference. And as a brander, again, I'm not here to litigate right or wrong, yes or no. I'm here to say you got to recognize the realities. Certain parts of an audience want definition, authority, and structure. Another part of an audience wants to be emotionally free and engaged and intellectually stimulated. If you're in one group, you're not in the other. If you're in that other group, you're not in that first group. And you have to understand, for example, my wife, and this is not picking on my wife. This is just to say, <laughs> I will go out of my way to watch foreign subtitled comedies because I'm just intrigued by the way other cultures, you know, go to Netflix and watch a Finnish comedy. Yeah. In Finnish. I, one, I love to hear the way the words sound and stuff like that. But I also like to see, do they, oh my God, they're exactly like we are. My wife, on the other hand, will watch anything with Mark Harmon in it, period. And she will okay. watch the same episodes over and over and over again. That's not to say that we don't agree on just about everything. It just means we're in to that type of engagement as an audience member for different things. So I don't she want own to be bored. summer school. Does she own a copy of Summer School? The, I don't. Uh, wasn't Mark, Mark Harmon? Oh, uh, oh my God, that's a deep cut, man. Yeah, Summer School. Oh, I don't think so. Jodie Foster. Yeah, that was that had to be eighties. Yeah. Anyway, wow. we're the, we're we would go, go so off topic with that, but it just right. it just jumped out of me. But anyway, okay. But but let's yeah. go back to that that whole idea of audience. Consequently, yeah. If I am a brand. And I am a brand, by the way, as an individual and also as a business owner, my company brand is me because if you have under 50 employees, your business is you. Every time you hire, you try to hire someone who is a clone of you. And if you're a good brand and you can't find clones, you find people that have a great many qualities that are completely aligned with your brand. And you do that on purpose. Why? Because we want to stay true to who we actually yeah. are. And that's the point. If you're an audience member, and again, I, I'm sure you use techniques like this too. I call it the key three, the key concepts, ideas, or words that you uh, succinctly define and defend who you are, what you do, and how you do it. In my case, my company name, Collaborator Creative, those are two of my three words. I'm on the creative side of the fence. You'll never get a spreadsheet from me ever because you get creative concepts, you get creative thinking, you get creative ideas. Collaboration, that's what I deliver. I have to work with other people. I'm not a poet up in a garret writing poems for no one to read. I'm out here to write commercial communications that actually engage people to do something. Whether it, oh, remember you? Oh, engage with you? Oh, buy your product? All of those things are forms of engagement. I can only do that by collaborating with other people. The third word, which hopefully I've demonstrated 
constantly throughout this podcast is provocative. My goal is to constantly make people think. Sometimes maybe a little bit of discomfort comes in there. I always mean it kindly and with good intent, but sometimes if you feel like I just knocked you back a little bit, that's on purpose because I want you to get thinking deeper about whatever we're talking about and question the things that maybe you haven't ever questioned but need to. My value to the people I work with is, oh, you make me think deeper. And, and by the way, I didn't come up with that word myself. As I was doing this exercise for Which myself, word? I talked to the people who know me and said, what? and I just asked a very open-ended question. What do I do best? I was thinking they, they might say something like, oh, you can be a pretty funny writer. Or, oh, you, you've got a wide range of writing styles. You can make me cry. You can make me laugh. What they said was, you always make me think. I'm like, that's interesting. Because it had nothing to do with writing. Isn't that interesting? Uh -huh. I'm a writer. I'm a copywriter. No, I make people think. I'm a provocateur without being a jerk about it. My key three, creative, collaborative, provocative. Have you, listener, done the same type of work to to literally come up with the DNA of who you are, what you do, and how you do it? Keep in mind, the entire, everything biological has been made from four amino acids. And don't ask me to say what their names are because I never get them <clears> all three. But just pretty Pritium, Levin, and Geritin. Yeah, well, cytosine. Those are the, those are the, uh, those are the trining, four. Anyway, but my whole anyway. point is every cell in your body was created by the, the incredible creative elements of four amino acids. Well, in my case, I dropped the th fourth one just to focus on the three. What are the base pair amino acids of you, who you are, what you do, and how you do it? And that applies to you, the individual. It applies to you, the small business that is actually you. And it also applies to brands that are global in scope. Again, where did I learn this key three strategy? I was working on a brand in Atlanta, Georgia, you might be familiar with, called Coca-Cola. I would have my butt handed to me every time that I went to present to client and they would ask me three sentences during the presentation. How does this communicate authenticity? How does this <laughs> communicate sociability? How does this communicate refreshment? Those were the three words at the time that I worked on it. Authenticity, refreshment, and sociability. And if it only, if I could explain it in a way that only covered two of those three bases, it could be the perfect ad and it would be dead. Because the first level of review at Coca-Cola was designed not to approve, but to kill. It was designed to kill anything that did not project those three concepts of authenticity, refreshment, and sociability. That always pissed me off as a young copywriter because it's like, how do you say sociability when I can't show people in an ad? You know, sometimes you get right. a, an ad job where you can't have models or you can't film people because the budget's so small. How can I do that without showing people? Well, that's where the creativity comes in. You really got, got to get creative. But Coca-Cola understood one thing that I didn't at the time. Their product is nothing more than sweet brown bubbly water with a slight flavor profile difference than their fiercest competitor, which 
1886 is when Coke kind of went, got past the local geography of Atlanta and started going nationwide. A year later, Pepsi did. Mm. Pepsi and Coke are totally different brands that have different brand fans to the point that if you go to a restaurant and they say, I'm sorry, we only serve uh, Pepsi products here, I'll say, oh, that's okay, I'll just have water. Is there that big a flavor difference if I wanted a cola soft drink that I couldn't drink Pepsi? No, it's not that different. But I'm a Coke guy. I prefer my brand. (laughs) Because it goes all the way back to me being a little kid and loving those glass, green glass bottles and how cold they were, especially when you held it up against your neck in the middle of summer when you're outside playing in the heat and you feel refreshment before you even open the bottle. That's what refreshment means. It's not about the liquid inside. It's about the experience of Coca-Cola. When I cracked that code in my mind, that's when branding became the type of thing I can get passionate about. And I know you get that too, man, because once you understand that a brand is not a a logo color and type and consistent use of a couple of brand message platform phrases, once you understand it's everything from your, the way you answer your phone to your CEO's public behavior, once you understand that, then you've, you've literally unlocked what branding is and the power of it especially when it comes to creating a lifetime relationship with a brand like Coca-Cola did with me. I don't drink a whole lot of soft drinks, but when I do, it's 100% Coca-Cola. But when I do. Yeah, but when I do. But when I do consume a cola, it's always a Coca-Cola. Why? I have taken Coke on at a DNA level in my life. And right. a lot of us have. What car do you drive? Why do you drive it? Ask that question. You might find out, well, I drive a Ford F-150. Why? Well, my dad had a Ford F-150. And when I learned to drive, well, actually, as a kid, I wanted to drive it. Then when I finally did get to drive it, I actually loved it. And actually, I remember Grandpa's old Ford pickup on the the farm. And why have we always bought Fords? Yeah. By the way, that goes back to... The uh, because we've always done it thing. Yeah. And, and that's a very important branding tool, uh, you know, legacy, uh, because we've always done it, all that stuff. That's where that's both the good and the bad of the human experience, I think, because what we were talking about before, as far as the parties go and politics, people wear the uniform and they're like, we've always worn the uniform. And that's what it is. We're a this family. And yeah. even though. Like I come from a military family, but you go through what 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 being in a military family means, right? You know, now you might talk to somebody who said, "Well, we're Republican because we're from a military family," or "We're Democrat because we're from a military family," because it depends on what what your perception of the United States is. What is it supposed to be? And that has changed. So. Even though the party lines, the party, uh, what a party represents has changed, the uniform hasn't changed. Yes. Right. And and the other thing is, and this goes back to that key three concept. I love to point this out in presentations I do about branding. Thomas Jefferson was one heck of a copywriter. He wrote the key three for the United States of America way back when in the phrase life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
And again, we aren't always perfect, but we're always working on becoming more perfect. That's to be a more perfect union. It's not we're a perfect union to become a more perfect union. That's from the preamble to the Constitution. Those ideas, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, when you talk to people around the world, you know, herdsmen in Mongolia know who Abraham Lincoln is. Why? Because he is an icon for the brand that is the United States. Why do you think the highest performing individuals from every country around the world are in general clamoring to come to the United States of America? And the answer is right there. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of the most admirable millionaires, billionaires in the United States of America are first or second generation Americans? Mm-hmm. They came here with energy and ideas. That's what makes this country great. So when this country of immigrants starts having a problem being a country of immigrants, that's when I have a problem because, oh my God, our the thing that makes this country great is the energy that is constantly in, injected into our, our community, our polity, and uh, everything that is the United States of America. Why? Because the brand of the United States is all about, say it with me, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you see how strong three simple phrases like that can be when giving you a clear center line from which to do to to, to judge everything you do? Yeah. When it comes to branding, it really is the belief system that we're selling has to believe be the belief system that we own. And that's where the whole truth thing comes from so that we, we can, and and it's, and it's instructive to, to look at politics simply because I think so many times they succeed or fail based on that. And, you know, without getting complicated, it's worth looking at. Let's look at it from their messaging point of view. I wish we could have conversations with people of opposing political views just to discuss the efficacy of the marketing and the and the selling of the ideology, because I think that would make it easier for people to kind of handle. You know, I'm not judging you based on your point of view, you know. Uh, People, you know, don't understand. Sometimes they're looking for villains and heroes, and really they should be looking for like minds and differing minds, and then align themselves with the results they want, but not try to vilify one. I don't even like vilifying Donald Trump because I think that that just is such a silly, cartoonish way of looking at the goals and objectives of another point of view. Yeah, well, it's not in any way to absolve him morally from his from things that he from crimes let's say that he he of which he's accused and may commit it's really just look at the from a point of view of what is that what is that point of view what is what is that what is that about so and again i love to go deep to try to answer questions like that and this is an imperfect answer but a friend of mine who is a history student at the time I knew him, he was getting a master's or a PhD in history. We were talking about politics one day and he described the parties thus, 
and I don't know if he was he came up with this originally or if it was someone else, but he said, Democrats, boil it all down, comes down to a desire for a freedom from guilt. Republicans, boil it all down, it comes down to a desire for a freedom from fear. Guilt versus fear. I feel guilty because I have more and they don't. I want to deal with that through programs to help people, supporting the public schools, etc. Freedom from fear, if that's the motivating principle for me, I am afraid and I view the world as a zero-sum game. If there are 10 units in this game, and I had all 10 at one time, but now you're taking away four of them and I only have six, I feel diminished. I am afraid that I will eventually lose my six Everything then becomes about that. And when you understand that, you go, oh, it's not because you're a jerk. It's because you're afraid. Yeah. I yeah. can help you become less afraid if I stop calling you a jerk. Yeah. Yep. Very well said, DP. I like that. I like, I like that a lot. We could talk for, for a long, long time. I mean, this is really fun. I'm going to turn it over to you to take on the last couple minutes. Take us out with, with whatever thoughts you want to share with the audience and what you think will help them going into 2023. Well, yeah. First of all, everything's summed up in a little book I wrote called Nonfiction Brand, Discover Craft and Communicate the Completely uh, True, Completely You Brand You Already Are. And that's available at the house of Jeff Bezos, Amazon.com. <laughs> and also I have the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, which comes out every week. And we talk about personal branding and small business branding. Guess what? They're the same thing. And I and my guests prove that every single week. So check those things out. Again, Nonfiction Brand, the book at Amazon or Nonfiction Brand Podcast, wherever you get fine podcasts for free. The I'm going to hold up the cover of the book again so you can ask me a question or ask yourself this question. Hey, DP, why is your photo on the cover of your book? And my answer to that is, one, I'm not a raging narcissist. However, I am all about owning what is yours to own. And your personal brand is the only thing you truly own yourself, your voice, your experience, your expertise. You know, I'm always impressed by 20-somethings who are out there in a very public way touting their expertise in anything because you're 20 years old. You haven't done anything yet. How can you have expertise? And the answer is they do have expertise in that which they have personally experienced. And the thing is, a good coach is not 50 miles ahead of you. They are 10 feet in front of you. And they are assisting you through everything that they've learned in that 10 feet in front of you. So do you have to be a, a mansplaining 60-year-old to get respected by people? No, you have to own with that which is yours to own. So personal branding, yes, no, it didn't start out as a joke. I want to take that back because in 1997, when Tom Peters wrote the very influential article in Fast Company magazine, the title of the article was The Brand Called You. You can still look it up at fastcompany.com. Look up The Brand Called You and read it. You will see that he was making the argument that personal brands should learn 
from the techniques, hints, tips, and tricks that have always been used by packaged goods branders to make it easier for people to recognize who they are, be aware of them, and then engage with them. And I use, like to use this example, keeping it in the soft drink world. If I go to a local uh, you know, shopping uh, grocery store and I go to their soft drink aisle, I'm going to see, I don't know, maybe 100 brands of different soft drinks, waters, seltzers, whatever. If all I want is to pick up that 12-pack of Coca-Cola, I don't look for the words Coca-Cola. I don't look for any fancy tagline. I look for red and white as the first primary sorting thing. Is that red? Is it right? white? No. Pay no attention. Look for red, white. Oh, there it is. Red and white, Coca-Cola. This is the one I want. I'm out of here. It makes it easier for me. Packaged goods manufacturers have always realized, oh, we have to be uniquely packaged so people can understand who we are, what we do, and how we do it, and to prefer us. If you as a personal brand are like me, Midwestern born, not prone to self-aggrandizement, not prone to narcissism, and also perhaps with a preference for underplaying who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you need to get over that. Why? Because if you don't, someone else will take the glory that is due for you. We live in a world where, where credit is taken, not given. Give yourself credit for the things you have done, the hard-won experience, hard experience you have earned by owning it appropriately. My photo on the cover of my book is one of several things. Good packaging. If you see me in an airport, I look the same way. Same glasses, same everything. If you see me at a conference, I look the same way. Why? Because I'm packaging myself outwardly. But also the internal guts of who I am, what I do, and how I do it allows you to choose to engage with me or not. Some of your listeners are going, this guy is a blowhard. I don't like his style. I would never engage with him. To which I say, thank you. I don't have to waste any time on you. Instead, I can lavish it on the people who are like, oh, I like the way he makes me think. He's, he's causing me to think get over my fear of being perceived a narcissist maybe i should talk to him to find out more about that do you see what happened there i got rid of the audience who would never be happy with my services and am attracting the ones who might be that yeah do you know what it's worth not to have to waste time on people you learn that getting <laughs> you learn that getting older in I your do. life the second you start cutting people off uh, not because well we grew up together that's not a reason to keep someone in your life. We grew up together. No, we still love and care about each other. Yes, that's a great reason. They've always made me feel bad, but I grew up with them. Why are they still in your life? Yeah. Don't hang with the people who make you feel like crap. Brands should make you feel wonderful because you, they are aligned with who you are, what you do, and how you do it. So if I can leave your listeners with anything... Get over the fact that personal branding stinks of Kardashian. Yes, Kardashians are all personal brands. That does not mean that they represent all personal brands. I would argue Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is a personal brand. I would argue uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson of the Hayden Planetarium 
in New York City is a personal brand. I would argue that the teacher that your third grade daughter loves is a personal brand. Why? Because you as a parent are talking to other parents and saying to the person with a second grader, oh, try to get Mrs. Greats. She's fantastic. All, they've become members of your unpaid sales force. Yes, a third grade teacher is a personal brand, and so are you. The question is, have you done any work to actually begin to understand what the audience needs to understand about your personal brand? Because here's the thing. I thought people would say, I'm a good writer. Instead, they said, you make me think. Huh. Maybe I need to align myself and my brand with what the audience is actually buying and interested in engaging with. All right. If you liked the show, yes, and it worked for you. Yes, then. subscribe and leave a yes, five-star review. Yes, friend. tell all your friends. Yes, friend. Get your branding here. Yes, friend. get your branding here. Yes, friend. Did I make it clear? Yes, friend. get your branding on. Yes. Before they're gone. Yeah.